Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Generally, they set up cameras and they film the destruction a cyclone may have caused. Uh, fallen trees, roofs that are blown off houses, shattered windows and sort of debris that's sort of scattered all over the place. Uh, what else do they do? Filming for that. But they also look for eyewitnesses as well to sort of interview and ask about, well, can you tell us what it was like? Can you describe what was happening when all this was taking place and the wind was blowing and the trees were being uprooted? And see, they'll, they'll interview these people because what they want to get is like a first-hand account They want to get an eyewitness who can actually share their experience of what actually took place and what happened. And the whole point of doing that is to give us accurately details. And why do they do that? Well, they want to give us certainty here about this news report that they want to present to us. Well, that's what Luke's going to do for us through this, uh, his gospel account of Jesus Christ, the gospel of uh, Jesus according to Luke. He wants to give us certainty about who Jesus is and uh, what he has done and what he's going to do in the future. So if you've got your Bibles, please, just to get us started, go to uh, Luke chapter 1. You probably worked that out, didn't you? Didn't think it was going to start Luke 24 on the very first week of Luke. Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read uh, 57 through to verse 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son and her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this, by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbours, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord is with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David." as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance 
to Israel. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much that we can have this uh, great opportunity again to open up your word. We ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, as we uh, begin to venture into the book of Luke and we see that it's about Jesus Christ, Saviour to the world. And we know Luke is writing to us today to give us certainty of who Christ is and what he's done and what he's going to do. So we ask now that, Holy Spirit, you begin to build this in our hearts and lives as we start this journey here with Luke looking at Jesus. Uh, We ask that now in his name and for his glory. Amen. So Exchange Church here is about connecting people to Jesus and growing people in Christ. It's also about, which is incorporated in that, glorifying God. That's what our life is about. It's about glorifying the God who gives us life and breath. That's our highest calling and our deepest joy and satisfaction in life is to glorify God. To live that life out, in glorying in, uh, to glorify God, uh, we need to discover more and more about who God is. And then through that discovery of discovering who God is, the Holy Spirit takes that knowledge, that teaching, that instruction, that training, uh, this information, and as it were, brings it alive. Brings it alive within us and actually causes us to have vibrant worship in our lives before this great God who's rescued us and saved us in Jesus Christ. A central element here of Exchange Church as we gather week by week is the reading and understanding and worshipping of God through the Bible, in the Bible, by the power of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in that Word. It's actually, you can't separate the two. You can't have the Word without the Spirit and you can't have the Spirit without the Word. They actually go hand in hand. The Spirit brings life to this Word. Uh, The Bible is the clearest revelation that we have of God. In these written pages, God's word to us. Uh, we do see God in nature. I um, mean, you go to some glorious mountain peak and look out upon some valley or stand at the seashore and look out at the vastness of the ocean and you're sort of wowed, and we are by nature, and that's a revelation of God because Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God, so we actually see that there. But the clearest revelation uh, comes in the Bible. That's where we get a large picture of who God is and a clear picture of who God is. God's given us words. Words that we can read. Words that describe who he is. Words that describe how he acts. And words that describes his plans that he's going to carry out in the future. We also discover as we go through the Bible uh, who we are. Human beings made in the image of God, created by God. And what's expected of us by God as well as his creation. We discover that as we go through the Bible. Now, the Bible's given to us, as it were, to ultimately come to God and worship and glorify him in everything. Everything, not just some things, everything. So as we come today to start here this book of Luke, we actually come to worship God. We come to adore him and to glorify him as we see what God, what God is revealing to us uh, through the book of Luke. And what God wants us to see through the Bible here as we come to the book of Luke, God wants us to see a real and supernatural picture of Jesus Christ, his one and only son. As we read Luke, we're reading Luke to discover Christ, to see him grow larger in our hearts. And here's another good reason why we've chosen to do Luke at this particular time. Now, over the last 12 months, uh, we've had massive distractions in our lives from all fronts. Uh, coronavirus, 
or it's been conspiracy theories or it's been political dramas that have been outplaying over the last 12 months on many, many fronts. Many, many fronts. And of course, the whole range of distractions in our life, they've actually sort of distracted our vision about what the main game is in life, glorifying God, and actually get caught up and all these other distractions. And unfortunately, some people, I think, have spent more time searching on YouTube to discover the signs and times and look into these conspiracy theories and this whole range of other things. They've spent so much time on that that they've actually been distracted away from the one who controls all time, places and people. So we want to come to Luke today to immerse ourselves once again to get our focus right going forward. So these distractions find their rightful place. They sort of just fall away to nothingness as we focus upon Jesus Christ. So that's another reason today we want to come to the book of Luke. We want to see this really big picture of who Jesus is, this clear picture of who Christ is, so that out of that we want to worship this great and glorious Saviour we have. So this is Luke. This is Luke. This is the gospel account of Jesus Christ according to Luke. And so for our big idea as we start today in this initial initial passage of Luke, it's this. Uh, God doesn't forget us. God doesn't forget us. His salvation and deliverance are perfectly timed according to his purposes. Now one thing I will say here about Luke as we go through this, uh, we're not going to do it as it were verse by verse, passage by passage, chapter by chapter. If we did do that, Maybe by 2023 we could be finished. So we're not going to do that. We are going to take selected passages, but what we're going to do is pull that all together so it does make a, a continuous run going through the book of Luke. So if you think, well, hang on, Todd, why didn't you, why did you skip over that and jump to that? I'm just taking what I think are the, uh, the important passages. They're all important. Let me, let me choose a better word than important. Um, the, the ones that will actually thread together to give us a really good clear picture of Luke as we go through it a little bit quicker than actually verse by verse. Okay, I think the most important thing to do right at the start is discover something about the author. Who is Luke? What did he write this for? What was all this about? Uh, Luke is a Gentile. Uh, A Gentile is anybody who is a non-Jew. Actually, Luke is the only Gentile writer of the New Testament. All the rest are Jews. Nothing wrong with that. Just just a statement of fact that he's a Gentile author here. Uh, Luke also is a doctor. If you go to Colossians, you can see there that Paul talks about him, the beloved physician, Luke. So Luke's been trained in medicine uh, as a doctor as well. At some point in his life, Luke's life, he hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not told where he hears that, but for sure he has heard of it somewhere. And he becomes a disciple of Jesus, becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, Luke also meets the Apostle Paul, uh, who's written uh, quite a large portion of the New Testament, and spends a considerable amount of time with the Apostle Paul. So they're actually travelling together on a number of missionary journeys and uh, doing, going through all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, both Luke and Paul were in a shipwreck together on Paul's passage to uh, Rome. Uh, the ship got wrecked, and if you read there in the book of Acts, you'll see Luke uses these words here, we, 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 which means Luke, the writer of Acts, also is with Paul. So he's very closely associated with Paul. Uh, Luke is also moved by God, by God the Holy Spirit, uh, to write and record uh, the events of history. Here he is, he's writing the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not an historical book as such, although it's got history in it, 
Uh, Luke's actually carefully selected the things he wants to put into this book as he writes a record for us. Uh, And as I've already mentioned, uh, Luke also wrote a companion book, the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. It's actually like volume one, volume two. The Gospel of Jesus Christ according to Luke and then the Acts of the Apostles of Jesus Christ and the birth of the early church. The two books actually go hand in hand. Luke also gives us some insight into why he wrote this Gospel account right up the front in his opening verses. Let me read them for you and we'll put them on the overhead as well. So this is Luke writing the introduction to his book. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. I nearly said Snuffleupagus there for for Theophilus. It's just that, you know, those crazy thoughts have come to your mind. That's not his name, it's Theophilus, okay? So here he is. Luke is saying here, as he he introduces this uh, biography of Jesus Christ, he's saying that a number of people have written or recorded the things that have been accomplished among us. Other people have actually made an account of who Jesus is. And he's saying these have been delivered to us delivered to us firsthand from eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. So others have actually made this recording and they've done this. But then Luke says, I'm also moved by God the Holy Spirit to record these things as well. I've made this orderly account or I've made this careful record of what's taken place. I've actually gathered this information and we might ask ourselves there first off as a question, Well, Luke, how did you do this when you weren't an eyewitness? Because you became a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Christ, somewhere down the track. You weren't actually walking with Jesus. We don't see any record of that. So we're confidently assuming here that Luke spent much time talking to the likes of Mary, the mother of Jesus, Peter and John and and the other apostles as well. Actually, as the TV reports do on a cyclone, they get a first-hand account from the eyewitnesses that saw everything take place. He's doing that. So Luke has very carefully, and actually if you dig into the sort of some of the um, scholars' reports on this, he, he writes a very careful and accurate description here of Christ and his life. You, you, get, you get this great um, birth narrative and other things. Luke's really carefully to get this right. So accurately and carefully written down this for us, what he's seen and heard from these others about Jesus. So why has Luke done this? Well, thankfully he tells us that. Luke has done this for his friend called Theophilus. If you go to the book of Acts, he actually says the same thing again. He addresses it to Theophilus. He says, I've given you this record, Theophilus, so that you can have this growing confidence in your faith, in what you've been taught, in what you've heard about Jesus Christ. Luke's saying, Theophilus, I want your knowledge of Jesus to grow with certainty, Not to diminish, but actually to increase, to grow with certainty as you have this reliable record of who he is. I've compiled all this from first-hand witnesses and I've written this for you, Theophilus, so that you can grow with certainty about who Jesus is. Now, I might just insert this here as well. We could simply put our name where Theophilus is 
And Luke would be really happy with that. Todd, I've written this for you so you could be certain about what you've seen. Jess, I've written this for you so you could be certain about what you've been taught. Simon, I've written this for you so you can be certain about what we've been taught in Christ. You can put your name in there and Luke would be totally happy with that. He wants us to grow of certainty here. So Luke is writing this record here of Jesus probably 30 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. It's about AD 62, 63, thereabouts. But if we put ourselves back to sort of get the idea of what was Israel like at this time, if we put ourselves back 60 years prior to Luke writing this, we would find this. Israel was under a very strong Roman occupying army and government. They were, they were invaded by Rome and occupied by the Roman Empire at this time. What the Romans did do, though, was allow a type of sort of Jewish monarchy still to exist to help maintain law and order there. But really what that Jewish monarchy was, it was just like a puppetry king. So the Jewish monarchy only did what the Romans allowed them to do. That was sort of the, the political scene around at that time. Uh, So particularly at that time, Israel's not in happy times as such where it is there. They're ruled by a foreign government and they're paying massive taxes to this foreign occupying empire just to fund that empire. Not a happy place for Israel. In a spiritual sense, in a spiritual sense, Israel is bound up in a social, cultural, lifeless religious context, this social, cultural and uh, religious and lifeless in this religious context and it's run and organised by corrupted, money-hungry priestly families. Sort of the, the kingpins of culture that day were the priestly families who actually were lining their pockets through a whole range of corrupted practices taking place. That's sort of part of the, the uh, spiritual sense there. Also at this particular time, if we think about where it was about AD 3 or 4 here, uh, it's been 400 years since God has spoken through one of his designated prophets. If we think about a gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Malachi was the last prophet, which is the last book in the Old Testament, to speak on behalf of God. And that was like 400 years ago. And when we talk about this 400-year gap, it's actually talked about the 400 years of silence. God didn't speak. 400 years of silence. That's a long time. That's a really long time. If you're sort of used to somewhat God speaking, that's a bit like us today in 2021, and we've heard no new news since 1621, like 400 years. We just think that's forever back. But that's where Israel's at at this time, this 400 years of silence. Because before this, God was regularly sending prophets here to tell them about his plans, to remain faithful in hope, and to call them back to right and holy living before them. They were regularly getting that. They had all the promises and the covenants that God had made with them. But at about 4 or 5 AD, roughly, there was still nothing after 400 years but dead Silence. Not a peep. Not a whisper. Not a word from God at all for 400 years. I could imagine some of them thinking, where are you, God? Have you forgotten about us? 
Can't you see the suffering we're under here with this Roman occupation? What about your promises and the, and the covenants with us as your people? Are they just faded dreams and hopes? 400 years of silence. You see, this sets the scene for Luke's gospel. Luke now records 30 years in this time frame here that has utterly changed the course of human history. Utterly changed the course of human history. No person has ever affected the world as has Jesus Christ. No other person in the history of the world has done what Jesus has done to to affect change in the world. Jesus is the defining point of human history. And here's the sad fact about that. You'll never ever hear that taught in history lessons at school. It's devastating. Jesus Christ is the most important human being in the world. And you'll never ever hear about that in your history lessons at school. Okay, that sets the scene here for Luke. So we're going to pick up today uh, on Zechariah. And before that, Luke gives us these four little stories. We're not going to cover all them today. These four little stories, as it were, leading up here to the birth of Jesus. And in these stories, these little narratives, as we've gone, we've actually read them out, the two of them now. In these stories, Luke is emphasising how God chooses and uses the humble, the little known and the insignificant people to carry out his purposes. This is one of Luke's things here, that God actually doesn't come to the high rollers, he just comes to the little known people and God carries his purposes out through them. And today we're going to focus here on what God's doing with Zechariah and Elizabeth. God has a plan here that a forerunner, a messenger will come and prepare the way for Jesus to actually come onto the scene. So then we're introduced here to this couple, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And as we read there before, as Dot was reading for us, they're elderly, probably at least in their 60s, if not older. Uh, And and Elizabeth, they were told, is barren. In other words, she's unable to have children at that time. And probably at that age, she's past the point of bearing children as well. Zechariah is a priest and he's serving in the temple. And he goes into the temple and he receives this vision. He's told, uh, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son and you're going to name him John. Zachariah is a bit sort of dumbstruck by this. He doubts this word because he thinks, okay, I know my wife, she's about 65 or 70. I think we're too old for this. He sort of says that to the angel. And then for his lack of faith at that time, God makes him mute and he's not able to speak from that point on for the next little while. He walks out of the temple and that's exactly what happens. He can't speak. People ask somewhat, whoa, what's happening? Because you were talking before you went in and now you're not talking. What? Something's happening there. <laughs> I could, he couldn't tell him what was happening. He couldn't speak. Anyway, later on we see here, God begins to even fulfil this in Luke, 20, in Luke 1, 24, 25. We read this. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived... And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. God is on the move. 
God is on the move here for his purposes and plans. And here he is. Uh, He's come to elderly Zachariah and Elizabeth. And a miracle here blesses them with conception and pregnancy. Perhaps at this time they felt forgotten prior to this and thinking, well, life's passed us by. But no, the Lord has visited them. If we pick up the story in verse 57, it's like nine months later, normally the time for birth with with the ladies, sometimes they do come a bit earlier, nine months later the time of birth has arrived and she does. Elizabeth gives birth to a son exactly as the angel Gabriel told them would happen. Uh, there's massive rejoicing here, as there would be, thinking uh, it's, it's a uh, great feather in your cap, as it were, to have children. She didn't have them. So when the community hears that Elizabeth's had this child at such a late stage of life, there's massive rejoicing here about what God has done for Zechariah and Elizabeth. All the relatives and all the neighbours, as it were, are over the moon. Uh, if they had baby showers back then, it probably would have been a massive baby shower, given you know, what was taking place with all these circumstances around about it. Now, it's customary, it's customary back then, the first son that you have, you name after the father. It's like you're keeping the family line going, so you name this first son born to you after the father. And I've been thinking particularly so for these guys, thinking this is our only shot. If we want to keep the family line going, it's got to be Zachariah. It's the, it's the only chance for us. And all the relatives are just thinking, well, this is a no-brainer. Of course it's, you know, we don't have to guess the name. There's no baby reveal here. We don't have to guess the name. It's going to be Zacharias. They're all saying that. And Elizabeth says, no. What? But don't you want to keep the family line going? She says, no, he'll be called John. He'll be called John. And then the the family and the relatives, well, they all say, but you don't have any Johns in your relatives. Where did you get this name John from? John, no, she says John. Okay, let's, let's just go check with Zachariah because surely he'll make sure the record set straight and the family lines kept going and he'll make sure the right name. So they check with him. Obviously John still can't speak at this stage so he says, give me a tablet and he says, give me something to write on and he does. He scratches out this thing. His name is John. His name is John. And at that moment, he writes the name John. It's like his tongue is loosed. He's set free. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he bursts out with this prophetic praise of who God is and what God is doing and what God has done. And you'll see it there in your Bible. It's like sort of in this italics or this sort of you know, closed bracket sort of type that's, it's a song. Actually, that is what Luke is known for, is the singing gospel as well. There's a whole, Mary's already had a song beforehand, the, the Magnificat. There's lots of songs for this gospel. He bursts out with a song, a prophetic song of praise of what's going on. You see, in the eyes of the world who are looking on and seeing all this, God has chosen a couple of over-the-hill nobodies. They're past it. They're way too old to have kids. Over the hill, nobodies, to bring about a series of events, a chain of events that will be earth-shattering in the making, history-changing in the making. God is choosing to visit his people, coming to the lowly and the humble and beginning to fulfil his salvation plans. And it's starting here with Zechariah and Elizabeth. As I said before, 
God's not looking for the rock stars. He's not looking for the high-flying politicians. He's not looking for the sporting celebrities. God's ways are way, way different to ours. God chooses the obscure and God chooses the incomplete to come and carry out his purposes so that all the glory rightfully goes to him as he carries out his salvation plans. The neighbours and the relatives, they're in awe of what's just taken place. Elizabeth in her late years, 60 or 70 years of old, she's had this baby. Zachariah's been mute for nine months. They come around sort of when the the day of actually um, eight days after the birth to sort of celebrate all this and then all of a sudden he just bursts out with this song of praise and they're in awe of what's taking place here. Something amazing has just happened here that God is right in the middle of. It's a picture here that God is on the move. Now, this is what Luke wants us to see here, I reckon, when, I, when we look at this. What he wants us to see as he writes this is what God is gloriously doing here about salvation to rescue sinful humans. It's the salvation plan that he's beginning to unpack. And he's doing this to give certainty to Theophilus and us today as we begin to read this. God is carrying out his salvation plans. We're going to step through a few verses now, just particularly this prophetic song of Zacharias, and we're going to go through it relatively quickly. The verses will come up, and I'll just pick some points out of that. So don't think, Todd, why didn't you read through that out? And then we'll just step through some of these. So verse 68, 69, uh, we see there God has visited and redeemed his people. This is the prophetic song here of Zechariah coming out. God is raising up a horn of salvation. In other words, God's raising up a powerful salvation. Not a weak salvation, a powerful salvation. It's coming from the house of David. So God's picking up here on his promises from the Old Testament that this Messiah would come from the house of David. Zechariah is prophesying this. Verse 70, God is doing... Doing this according to what he has spoken through the holy prophets of old. God's actually again reminding them of his promises. Remind them again of what he said in the past. It's about to happen. This chain of events is about to take place. Verse 72, uh, God is showing the mercy promised to our fathers. God is remembering his holy covenant just as he promised us. Zacharias is like pulling these things out. This is what God said he would do. And this is what God is going to do. Verse 73 follows on here by saying the oath and the promises that he made with Abraham. We can go right back to the covenant that God made with Abraham where he would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Well, that covenant, that blessing is about to come in now. It's about to actually be revealed who that is and what that blessing will be. It will be Jesus Christ. It will be the salvation that he brings. Verse 74, 75, will be delivered from our enemies and will be set free to serve the Lord in holiness and righteousness without fear. It's a bit like the Exodus, set free from Egypt, as it were, set free to come to the promised land and begin to live in holiness and righteousness. Now, just remember again, none of this has actually happened as yet. Zechariah is there prophesying again, reminding them what's happened, because all they've got at the moment is probably an eight-day-old baby boy called John. 
Now, that's a wonderful thing. That's a great gift. But none of it's actually happened at this point. It's a prophecy. Zechariah is saying that God is on the move. Through even this miraculous event that's taken place in his family, God is on the move to fulfil his salvation promises and covenants. Let's move on. In verse 76, Zechariah begins to talk about this child, his son. And he says, This child will be a prophet of the Most High, preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. This is John, who was prophesied to be the one to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, if we just stop there for a second and just begin to think, how would Theophilus receive what he's just been told by Luke? He's, just, he's, he's read there and he's probably stopped and thought, okay, who's this one who's coming to prepare the way for the Messiah? I'm sure Theophilus would say, yeah, that's right, because he's, he's looking back, just like we're looking back, he's looking back probably... 60 years or 30 years at least, we're looking back 2,000 years, he, Theophilus would say, yeah, you're right. John did go before the Lord and prepare the way for him. That happened just as God said it would happen. And then through the mouth of Zechariah, he, he's seen that prophesied and he's saying this is God's plan being worked out. Theophilus would be thinking in his mind as he reads this. Because Theophilus would remember what he's written, what he's read, sorry, in the prophet Malachi, the last prophet to speak before these 400 years of silence. And he says this in Malachi 4, 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And what will he do? He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Theophilus would say, it's coming together. You're right. I'm thinking back, John the Baptist did prepare the way and Jesus did follow on. Theophilus would say, my confidence is growing, my certainty is growing as I see this take place. Let's move on. Verse 77, part of this prophetic song that Zechariah is singing. Salvation will be made known for the forgiveness of our sins through John. John's going to prepare the way for the gospel of Christ to come. And right here, Luke is making a very telling statement, setting this book off on the right path, setting his account of Jesus Christ and the gospel on the right path, saying this is what God's plan is centrally about. And that is glorifying God by dealing with our sin, humanity's number one problem. Not the Roman occupation, not their lack of food, not their lack of work, back in Israel's days or even our days maybe. They're all problems, certainly they are. But our number one problem is our sin problem before God. And Luke's now laying it out there saying, this is who is coming. He's going to deal with that problem. Verse 78, uh, the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Again, as God promised. Here's what God is doing. He's fulfilling exactly as he said. And then in verse 79, for those who are languishing in darkness, the light will break in. The light will break in. Here's this prophetic uh, song here of Zechariah, remind them again of what God has said and basically saying this chain of events is now starting. It's now starting. The first domino, as it were, is about to fall and the rest will begin to fall after that. So what are we seeing here about God as we look at this? What is Luke confirming with Theophilus 
and ourselves in reminding us here of this prophecy from Zechariah right at the start here of the book of Luke. What's he, what, what does he want us to see here to grow our certainty? He wants us to think about this. Israel is in a dark place spiritually, emotionally and physically. 400 years of silence and they're thinking, God's forgotten us. Maybe they've consigned themselves again to another failed dream and failed hope of God's rescue. Perhaps Zechariah has gone to the temple again and it just felt like going through the motions all over again. See, maybe that's you or I who are thinking like that today. It's been a season of silence. Perhaps a time of indifference towards God or a time of feeling somewhat cold towards God. And that's not unusual to go through times like that. We live in the same world that Luke lived in. No different. It's a world that reels under the weight of sin and brokenness. We all experience that because we all carry that within us as well. I know myself I experienced that. I had an experience last week. Uh, throughout the evening I had this, this absolute feeling of dryness, as it were, towards God come over me. It's, it's like I just felt nothing. Just one of those times where I just felt no spark of warmth or engagement or love or affection or anything towards God. It just, was, just felt like nothing. It's not unusual to go through that. Now, praise God, I thought, well, I'll, I'll just go to bed and wake up tomorrow morning and see how it goes then. Actually, it was great the next morning. But the highlight is sometimes that happens. Sometimes we feel like nothing's there. But then Luke wants us to see that, but also see what has God done here in Zechariah. God is using Zechariah here as a mouthpiece, as a mouthpiece to tell the people what he's about to do. Lift up your eyes, as it were. Lift up your hope once again. God hasn't forgotten. In God's perfect timing, he's setting in motion here his perfect plan of salvation. God is faithfully raising up individuals here right at the the outset to carry out his glorious salvation plan. God is on the move. God is on the move. The foundations are being put in place for the most spectacular event that will ever take place on earth the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you see, we along with Theophilus can look back now and see God's prophecy absolutely fulfilled without fail. Not one degree or not one uh, detail is out of place. We can stand today alongside Theophilus and say with certainty and confidence and say, you're faithful God, you're faithful, you carry this out. You did. Jesus Christ is that horn of salvation, that powerful salvation that you raised up to rescue the world. This can grow our certainty and our confidence. And light, light has broken into the darkness. I was dark in my mind, dark in my life without Christ. But now when the gospel comes in, the Holy Spirit opens my eyes up for the gospel, light comes in. Light has come and broken into the darkness. We can see that and that's what Luke wants us to see as we read this today. But how do we respond then to Zechariah's prophecy? How do we do that? 
We could respond like Zechariah did initially when told by the angel what was going to happen in the temple. Zechariah just didn't believe it. No, no, she's too old. She can't have a baby. We too could just let God's word just pass us by and think of all the reasons why we can't believe it and completely miss what God is doing. But what happened to Zechariah when he did that? When he doubted what God was saying or didn't believe what God was saying? When Zechariah experienced a, a light stroke of God's judgment, a light stroke of God's he was made mute for nine months or so, a light stroke of God's judgment. To disbelieve God is a dreadful sin to commit against him. The most glorious being in the universe, and we say, we don't trust you or we don't believe in you. Zechariah can only thank God's grace that he wasn't struck down on the spot for his disbelief of God. Maybe you're here for the first time and you never really understood what the Bible's all about. I'm reading this story out and you say, yeah, it sounds interesting. Well, Luke is a brilliant place to start to discover who Jesus is. You hang in there with this series and commit yourself to coming and you'll see a revelation of Jesus unpacked. And a great way to respond to that would be to take him as your Lord and Saviour as you see his truth unveiled. Or on the other hand, we could respond like Zechariah did in verse 68. What did he, how to respond there? He says this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's bursting out with praise. He's bursting out with song. He's bursting out with worship. We could respond like that too as we look back and see God's goodness and his grace unveiled again for us. He has seen our darkness. He has seen our brokenness. And he's broken in. God hasn't forgotten us. He's broken into our lives here like a new dawning day with the first rays of sunshine, as it were, beginning to light up our life again. Responding in praise and worship for who God is and what he's doing, growing us with certainty and confidence in what he's done for us and what he's going to continue to do for us as well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today that we can come and start this uh, book of Luke. Father, we thank you again for uh, this way you've moved upon Luke to record for us uh, the life of Jesus Christ. Lord, it's detailed and all these details work together to grow certainty in our hearts and our lives of who Jesus is and what we know about him. God, I pray today as we come and we just begin to start this book, as we start this first chapter and think about here is what you've done in Zechariah and Elizabeth, a couple of over-the-hill nobodies. Lord, you come and you use them, as it were, to set in motion this uh, earth-shattering event, this history-changing event, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of your one and only Son. We pray today, Lord, that you would just open up uh, who Jesus is and begin to build deeper certainty and deeper confidence in our lives that, God, you can be trusted no matter what we're going through. And we ask and pray today that, Holy Spirit, you would give us these eyes from the outset to begin to see that confidence and certainty grow, that our faith would rise and our hearts would respond in worship. Father, I thank you for that and I pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. 
Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 